Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Twice as hard for the same motherfucking title, but I realize that I probably won't be so Before we begin, we would like to issue a formal apology to Kelly Clarkson for talking about this movie in the first place. She really wants this to just disappear, huh? She really, really does, and I can't (laughs) say that I don't understand why, because I get it. This movie's coming in hot as a film that not a single person has ever asked for us to do. (laughs) This is the episode no one has asked for. No one has asked for, but I I think people are going to listen to this and be like, wow, I didn't realize that I needed an episode on From Justin to Kelly, but apparently I did. This movie that is generously barely a movie it really is but there's a lot of fascinating stuff to talk about in terms of this movie oh absolutely but like it's 82 minutes i know (laughs) and a lot of that is wasting time (laughs) i'm curious if the script to this was actually 80 pages like i don't know if it even made 80 pages because you got to think there's a lot of time spread out there for songs and and dance numbers and Mm -hmm unnecessary drama and random hoverboard hovercraft racing hovercraft basketball jousting yeah there's a lot happening in this movie but i think what's far more interesting is not even what happened in this movie but more how this movie came to be what this movie continued to influence things of that sort far more interesting than Painfully reminding the world that this movie exists, even though Kelly Clarkson would rather the entire world eternal sunshine it from their minds. I mean, we all kind of know that this movie exists, Mm -hmm. but I don't know how many people have ever actually sat down to watch it, because this might be a This Ends at Prom first, where, with the exception of like a brand new film that just came out, neither of us had seen this before we sat down to do it for the episode, Mm -hmm. because I am a madman. (laughs) <laughs> and I decided it's the 20 year anniversary of From Justin to Kelly. We should do that for May Musical Month. <laughs> of all the anniversaries to celebrate, yes, we are celebrating the 20 year anniversary of From Justin to Kelly. And we're going to talk about American Idol. We're going to talk about this hot mess of a movie. It's, it's going to be a thing. So since we didn't actually see it all the way through, what did you know about this movie? I knew it was there. Um, what's weird is I probably had significantly more reminders of this movie than most people did Mm because for some reason, Oh, I know where you're going. My brother had a, from Justin to Kelly poster that was hanging in the garage uh-huh. And I don't know why. See, here's the thing. I have a lot of theories about your dead brother that I should probably not get into on a public forum, but let's just 
say that's a choice that I, he made. I feel like it's a joke. It had to have been a joke. It had to have been. Like, my brother is absolutely someone who had a Titanic poster on the inside of his closet door growing up. So it's like, he he might have been a little more sensitive mm-hmm. than, we gave, than we gave him credit for. And maybe that's why he became so angry over the years. But, mm-hmm. but... I refuse to believe that of all of the goofy, silly, big, generous quotes camp films he could be interested in, he's going to proudly display a From Justin to Kelly poster in the garage in earnest. It has to be a joke. I, you know, you can believe what you want to believe. I'm going to believe what I want to believe. I never met the man. You know more than you're, I do. You're better for that. <laughs> you know more than I do. Uh, yeah, from oh, from Justin to Kelly. Well, but what about you? What are, what are your recollections of this movie? I've seen clips of it. I had never actually sat down and watched it all the way through because from what I saw in the clips, I didn't need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then knowing how much Kelly Clarkson hates this movie, I was like, okay, well, if she hates it that bad, then like really there's... There's no need for me to ever watch this. Out, out of respect for America's sweetheart, Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> right. I was like, you know, there's no reason for me to actually watch this. And having watched it, uh, I wasn't missing much. This movie is as bad as Kelly says that it is. I completely understand why she did not want to do this. Um, but I think there's something really interesting going on with From Justin to Kelly in terms of the pop superstar making machine of the 2000s. I think there's something interesting in the idea of we're no longer looking for people that are just talented singers. We're looking for people that we can turn into a brand. Mm -hmm. Uh, That I think is really interesting in how this movie fits in. And I also think this movie fits in really weirdly with a lot of the Disney Channel movies that we're going to see coming forward. Isn't it just? It's it's kind of wild to think about. Um and you know, it's been it's been 20 years, so I guess there's no time like the present to finally have seen from Justin to Kelly. And and what a sobering experience it was because this is obviously coming from American Idol. I assumed this was going to be a jukebox musical and it's not. Oh, it sure is not. There, there's there's a cover that opens the movie and ends the movie. They're the worst versions. The version of Vacation is clearly the worst song in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's like the first song. Yeah. <laughs> but there's like original material. Mm-hmm. Like, and granted, they're like pop songs that sound like, hey, we're going to offer this to like Justin Timberlake now that he's going solo and he's going to go, nah, I'm all right. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of what they feel like. They don't feel like musical numbers. Mm-hmm. But they wrote music for this. Yeah, they wrote pop songs. Yes. And not, th- th- not like jukebox musical, movie musical, none of that. They are just pop songs. Mm -hmm. That's it. And that's the thing that's so interesting is that the pop music that they wrote for this, they sound like pop songs. They don't sound like musical theater songs. So they're also sadly kind of forgettable because they feel like songs that were shoehorned into a movie. Mm -hmm. And so they're not really all that memorable. I don't really care about a lot of them. They're not really um, advancing the plot. They're not really. really describing... Too much of what's going on other than, like, vague sentiments of dating and love. Yeah, you're totally right. And we'll obviously be talking about that a little bit more in depth. But before we do that, I do want to provide the the plot synopsis for this movie. There's a plot? 
A waitress from Texas and a college student from Pennsylvania meet during spring break in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and come together through their shared love of singing. It's grease, but it's even more paper thin. That's like not even the plot, though. Yeah. They don't come together through a love of singing. It's just a musical, so everyone happens to be singing, but they come together because they see each other from across the beach, and then Kelly Clarkson's shit-ass friend spends the entire movie trying to keep them apart. There's a good chance that the person who wrote that did not watch this movie as well. Uh, Yeah, it's... This movie is a trip and a half. So it's celebrating a 20-year anniversary. Let's talk about 2003 and any of the context that you want to bring to the table for this movie. So I could be looking into a number of teen movies that are coming out this year. Um, I could be referencing like This Ends at Prom alum, Freaky Friday, Mm -hmm. and Camp, which I believe we did last musical month. We did. But that's not more interesting, and I don't think that tells the proper story of what or why from Justin to Kelly. So, there's a man who you'll see in the opening credits of this movie, and his name is Simon Fuller. Mm-hmm. If you're not familiar with Simon Fuller, it's likely because you, you might recognize um, a different Simon from the thing that, that he stakes his claim as like his biggest cultural achievement in, mm-hmm. which is the Idol series, mm-hmm. which there's obviously American Idol, but there's... Idols in every country around the world, essentially. Mm -hmm. Simon Fuller is both fascinating and kind of dull. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But he's unbelievably successful and is arguably the most significant and influential man in music of the 21st century. I would say that no one even comes close to him. And you have to also remember that when we say that he's the most influential, we're not saying that that's a good influential thing. Influential is neutral. Yeah, that is a neutral term. That does not mean that he's the best at what he does or, you know, he's produced the best musicians. It just means that he knows how to make a lot of fucking money. Mm-hmm. So l- let me tell you a story here about Simon Fuller. So he starts as a talent scout. And that's really important for what he's going to basically spend his entire career doing. In the early 80s, he has his first, like, big, aha, I got in there early moment when he signs Madonna for her first single of Holiday. Yeah, that's that's a pretty big fucking get. Yeah, getting Madonna, pretty big. So in 1985, he starts his own management company. It's called 19 Entertainment. And... Then his story gets a little, a, a, a little in the weeds, a, a little hazy for like 10 years, because mm-hmm. maybe it's just that all of the stuff he did post-1995 vastly overshadows everything he did during this 10-year stretch of his career. Or maybe he's focusing on his successes and not like a lot of middling nothingness where like he managed any Lennox and didn't do too much else that he brags about. Mm-hmm. But in 1995... He spices up our life, baby. He spices up our life. So I could talk a lot about the Spice Girls, but we do want to do Spice World at some point, if it ever gets out of whatever legal hell it's in that allows it to be on streaming services so that mm-hmm. people can watch it without spending $60 on a DVD. Yeah, that's the only reason we've not done Spice World yet is because we try to do movies that are somewhat accessible to mass audiences, and that movie is locked away in a vault somewhere, and yeah. it is very frustrating. Yeah, I don't know exactly why. I've not really looked into why, but there's a million legal reasons why it's probably not being distributed Yeah, and anymore. we definitely have had people being like, well, if you do this on Vudu and if you don't, that's too much work for a lot of mm-hmm. people. I'm not, we're not doing that. Yeah, so... <laughs> 
I don't want to go too much into the Spice Girls because we'll, they'll get their whole we'll episode. T- we'll get their whole up. Ep- they'll get their whole episode at some point. And also, the Spice Girls are much less interesting when talking about the specific from Justin Nickellyism of it all. Mm-hmm. Contrary to popular belief, Simon Fuller did not create the Spice Girls. Correct. A, a different duo of men with their own management company created them. He merely molded them. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, the Spice Girls left their original management as well as Simon Fuller. They dumped them both because they didn't like the creative control they had over everything. Mm-hmm. So two years into their career, they dumped Simon Fuller. The day that they are dumped, he gets an idea to create a new pop group. Mm-hmm. One that is very, very successful in a very, very small window. Mm-hmm. And they're called S Club 7. S Club. Ain't no party like an S Club party. <laughs> Hoochie Mamas, show your nanas. <laughs> Ghetto Boys, make some noise. Why were they in this Kitty Pops band? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so S Club 7. 10,000 people auditioned to be a part of Simon Fuller's new creative venture of S Club 7. Mm -hmm. What S Club 7 is, is a multimedia group. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not defined characters with defined personalities the way that the Spice Girls were. Mm -hmm. They are just sort of like indistinguishable, named, replaceable characters as a part of a group and if you're curious, um, the S in S Club 7, depending on who you ask, either stands for Simon mm-hmm. or it stands for the letter S being the 19th letter of the alphabet, as in 19 entertainment. So S Club 7 creates nothing but top 10 hits. If you're in America, you might know them for a ballad that BJ quite enjoys. I never had a dream come true till the day that I found you. Oh, it's so forgettable. I love that ballad. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you get down. I've, I've saw you get down to the fucking key change. Oh, I love a key change, though. I love a key change. It's just kind of a weak key change. Yeah. I, okay. In my defense, I started listening to S Club 7 when I was like nine years old. Like, oh, I'm I mean, a child. Yes, it tracks. They are like kid pop. Yes. There's a reason S Club 7 didn't really have many hits in America outside of their one big dumb ballad. Mm-hmm. And it's because they are the most like Radio Disney kids bop pop group mm-hmm. in a time where they were absolutely going to get choked out by some of the biggest pop successes in the history of American music. Which is exactly what happened. Yes. I mean, like they had their TV series. I think it was on at the time Fox Family, mm-hmm. which is now the CW. I'm pretty sure that's the channel that it was on. So that's how I kind of got in. And I felt like weirdly cool because I'm like, oh, they're from the UK. Like, they don't play S Club 7 on the radio. Yes. So S Club 7 are stars of their own TV show, of numerous TV movies. They are filming a show in Los Angeles, California, while being international pop stars in the UK and having to fly back and forth weekly. Which is so demanding for anybody. That, and this becomes a, a common trend in Simon Fuller's career, which is, like with the Spice Girls, like with S Club 7, like with the stars of American Idol, specifically with this movie, he wants them to do everything and attack from all fronts to the point of working them like fucking dogs. Mm-hmm. Just absolutely running people into the ground. And you sign your fucking life away. Yep. And that's... What happens with S Club 7? They all start to develop problems. They all are starting to cope. The group falls apart mostly because they can't fucking take it anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, Simon Fuller wanted to do this with the Spice Girls. Essentially, everything he concocted that he was going to do with the Spice Girls, he did with S Club 7. 2003, that band calls it quits. And in the interim, he starts Pop Idol. Yes, he does. He also starts S Club Search, 
where he's going to now do a junior's version of S Club 7 that is also essentially pop idol, but for small children. Mm-hmm. S Club 7 and everything he does with them not only creates the like commoner to music superstar pipeline that gives us Kelly Clarkson and Carrie Underwood and Daughtry and all of these other people who are in most cases less successful than them. Mm-hmm. It also kind of creates what Disney will do. Mm-hmm. It creates a whole lot of things that are going to be replicated to great success in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Because the thing people forget all the time is that a lot of these Disney stars that came out in the 2000s, they were giving them a TV show. They were giving them record deals. They were giving them made-for-TV movies or Disney Channel original movies. They were all getting songs. Miranda Cosgrove got a pseudo-hit single on Nickelodeon at the time, and she is not a singer. Yeah. But, like... Every single person who was on the Disney Channel, especially the girls, all had like some manner of music career, some manner of pop success. Mm -hmm. Everybody was poised to be these triple threat performers. Like Mm -hmm. that was a huge thing. And what's really fascinating is in a lot of cases, Disney and Nickelodeon definitely knew that they had superstars and they rightfully became superstars. Mm -hmm. You think about like Selena Gomez, Demi Lovato. Miley. Miley. Miley's the most clear Miley's line definitely with the Hannah Montana of it all. Yeah, Miley's a big one for sure. But then you also have like Ariana Grande. I mean, Ariana Grande was on Victorious as kind of like a side character. Which and a they're lot like, of people who are a bit older don't realize. They don't realize because because the Sam and Cat show that came after Victorious um, is like that's where the break happens for I think a lot of millennials mm-hmm. where they like Victorious I think was pushing it for a lot of people um, but they kind of fell off because a lot of people that I know in the film industry um, were complaining about how they they weren't sure that Ariana Grande could pull off Glinda in the Wicked movie mm-hmm. and I was like did y'all forget that she used to have her own TV show like she had a TV show before she became a pop superstar. And they're like, I had no idea she could do that or she acted. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's where she got her start. Yeah. That's why her hair was pulled back for so many years. Cause she had to dye it that like weird maroon hot red color for mm-hmm. so long that it like destroyed her hair. Yeah. So it's really fascinating to look at the specific way that Simon Fuller wanted to create stars, mm-hmm. make them. Be, be, he possess stars. He wants to stake a claim that he managed them. He made them big. Mm-hmm. He put them in movies and television and cartoons and merchandising and everything. Mm-hmm. He wanted to say all of that. And it's it kind of like, it, it kind of created this sink or swim environment for everyone who would go on to be on American Idol. You would sign your life away mm-hmm. and they would set you up with what they want to do with you. And the public would decide whether they want more of you or not. And in the case of, like, Kelly Clarkson, they wanted way more of Kelly Clarkson. In the case of, like, the guy who won Pop Idol first, apparently everyone in the UK is not a fan of him. (laughs) I guess he's boring or something. And something that I think could end up being a subject of its own maybe musical milestones episode on the Patreon is that it's very important to remember as well that American Idol and Pop Idol they expose a lot of America's most obvious biases mm-hmm. in the sense that Jennifer Hudson, who now has an EGOT, yep. didn't win her season. She came in seventh. Yeah, she didn't do well at all. Like, one of the most glaringly obvious ones in terms of, like, placement with American Idol is the year that Adam Lambert was, like, a shoe in And I wonder why he didn't win. Mm-hmm. 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 
it's one of those things where a lot of people make the argument of, oh, it's fixed. I don't think it's fixed. I genuinely do not think it's it's fixed. It's like focused group by the entirety of America. Mm -hmm. And also, who do you think watches American Idol more than anyone? Mm -hmm. Like suburban, middle class, mostly white Americans. Right. Which is why there tends to be, especially in American Idol, I can't speak to the other Various countries. other regional idols. Right, I can't speak to that. But in America, there is sort of a formula that works, is that you get the very, very squeaky clean, like, boy, girl next door kind of people, like your Kelly Clarksons, like your Clay Aikens, because people were too dumb to realize how gay Clay Aiken was. They just thought he was Southern. Hey, that was the era of metrosexuals. That's true. Good point. Um, So you have kind of like the squeaky clean people. Um, You have black performers who can also uh, do gospel Mm -hmm. um, because then you're going to reel in all of the white evangelicals that are like, oh, but they, I'm not threatened by them because they sing about the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have country stars. Like those are the people who win American Idol more than anyone else. There needs to be a certain level of uh, middle of the roadism, mm-hmm. and like that's that's how that's how you that's how American radio has really gotten over the last like couple decades. But like, it's the Nickelback of it all. It's yeah. the Nickelback of it all, where everyone's like Nickelback's the worst band. I'm like, no, they're just an uninteresting band. Mm-hmm. I've heard significantly worse things than Nickelback. They're just mm-hmm. dull and overexposed. Totally. And that, like, that to me is is part of the legacy of Simon Fuller as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because anybody who did anything provocative or interesting or daring was too extreme for the masses, and then they didn't win, but a lot of them found success afterwards, which I find we, fantastic. We don't like boldness in American Idol. No. You can get we slightly safety. You can get slightly more bold in like, I don't know, X Factor. Mm-hmm. Simon Cowell's <laughs> whole thing that Simon Fuller tried to sue him for. Right. <laughs> so I'm not going to say that like they achieved in being slightly more bold. It's still, it's like one tick more on the dial in terms of like, wow, look how adventurous it is. But like it creates like, how many singing competitions do we still have? Would we have had the mask Singer without this? Would we have had The Voice without American mm-hmm. Idol? Like these are still things that are clogging the airwaves of mm-hmm. like network television. And people love it. They cannot get enough of They're it. They're so big still. And like, that's why we say influence is neutral. Yes, influence is neutral because I have a lot of negative things to say about Simon Fuller, but I'm not going to deny the groundbreaking changes that he made in our culture. Yeah. But this context is really important because it's well known that Kelly Clarkson hates this movie, mm-hmm. doesn't like this movie, didn't want to be a part of it. And a thing that some people might not know is that... She knew going into the finals of American Idol that if she won, she was contractually obligated to do this movie. Oh, yeah, because they they created this with the intent of being like, cool, we're going to hit from multiple media points. Mm -hmm. And when Kelly wins, you see her just go, oh. Yeah. And like she just see her like face slink away and then she covers her face. And then when she like turns back around, she's like kind of crying, but has this dead smile on her face going, Oh, no, I have to make this fucking movie now. Yes, and she's done a lot of interviews since then, including on her own talk show, which is quite delightful if you've never watched it, um, where she talks about how that's why she looks that way, is because she knew that she was going to have to do this movie. She tried like hell after she won to get out of it. Part of why Justin is in this movie is because he really wanted to do the movie. He wanted to be an actor. And Kelly's like, no, I do musical theater. I don't Mm want to be an actress. This isn't 
my thing because she's right. It's a very different skill set. There are a lot of musicians who should not be actors, and there are a lot of actors who should not be musicians. Oh my God, Jennifer Nettles. <laughs> no, no, no disrespect to Jennifer Nettles as a singer. I love her as an actress. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. Yeah, she's fantastic. And so Kelly didn't want to do this movie. She managed to get Justin to be a part of it because he was also extremely popular and he really wanted to do the movie. Mm-hmm. But this is something she knew was was coming and she didn't want to do it I mean, at all. <laughs> as I recall you saying in reading about this, um, she had to fight to have her first single come out before the movie because she was like, oh no, if it comes out after the movie, my career's going to tank. Yeah, so the reason that Miss Independent kind of got rushed out uh, was because she was like, look, I will do this movie, but my my solo has to come first because she she's right. You only this get movie... one chance to make a first impression. Exactly. And yes, she was kind of like the darling because she won American Idol, but like... People wanted to see what is she going to do without the show. And luckily, Miss Independent's a banger. Yeah. So that was good. Kelly has lots of good hits. She has a lot of good hits. I don't listen to anything else Kelly makes other than her hits. I'm sure that they are also (laughs) fine. But like, I like Kelly's hits. (laughs) I do too. Um, But that leads us to From Justin to Kelly. Oh, and From Justin to Kelly is S Club 7 all the way. It is an S Club party all day. But before we dive in... It's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Happy May Musical Month prom party. We have some, we'll say, interesting things going on over at the Patreon this month. For our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes, we are doing Dear Evan Hansen, because neither BJ or I have obviously seen that, because why would we subject ourselves to it? But I'm somehow thinking... Maybe it's not that bad, even if it is bad. And to offset that, we are also covering Tick, Tick, Boom. This month's Patreon playlist is also going to consist of covers of musical theater numbers by popular artists. And for our Musical Milestones episode, BJ made me watch a lot of stuff about Glee, and I am exhausted, and I don't know why Ryan Murphy is like this. In addition to all of that, the Patreon also gives you access to our suggestion box, BJ's monthly wellness newsletter, and it is the penultimate episode for our Freaks and Geeks revisit. It's been a wild ride, and I'm going to be sad to see it go next month. But wait, there's more. Are you tired of scrolling through the same old movies and TV shows on your streaming service? Do you want to discover new voices and stories that break stereotypes? then it's time to join Soleil Space, the world's first truly global community streaming platform. Soleil Space is more than just a streaming platform. It's a community of people from all over the world who are passionate about authentic storytelling and promoting underrepresented voices. With Soleil Space, you can discover the world's hottest emerging filmmakers, support filmmakers from your own culture, and curate films for your community. But that's not all. With Soleil Space, you can participate in watch parties and join groups to recommend films and meet new friends who share your love of film and culture. You'll explore authentic worlds of never-before-seen, critically acclaimed films from underrepresented countries and cultures. Join the Soleil Space community today and start exploring a world of diverse, authentic stories. Visit www.soleilspace.com to start your free two-month trial for This Ends at Prom podcast listeners using promo code TEEP60. Once again, that is S-O-L-E-I-L space dot com 
and the promo code of TEAP60. Thank you so much, and back to May Musical Month. So something that people don't realize about From Justin to Kelly is that it was written by Kim Fuller, who is Simon Fuller's brother. Mm-hmm. And he had been working in TV primarily for a while, like 15 plus years he'd been working at. Like he's done, he did some work with Tracy Ullman, like specifically the Tracy Ullman show. And so he, he, he had a pedigree. He had a, a, a sense for comedy. He understands camp. Yes. The director of this movie, whose name I might mispronounce, but it's like Robert Isgrove, mm-hmm. Isgrove. Um, that man, this is actually his third appearance on this podcast mm-hmm. because he had previously directed Cinderella from 1997 mm-hmm. and She's All That. Mm-hmm. Like he mostly worked in television, which tracks for this, but he did She's All That. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there are people who understand how to make stuff. Like Kim Fuller, he did Spice World. Yeah. And Spice World, like... Space World had a $25 million budget, so it had a decent-sized budget. This one has, like, less than half that. Yeah. Because they were like, well, we don't have to try as hard. Right. We don't need to be global superstars. We don't We don't need to have them be on the same level as, like... When, when you compare the Spice Girls to, like, NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, like, the production qualities were stadium level. Oh, yeah. When you compare from Justin to Kelly to something, it's like, oh, no, it's like the S Club 7 videos that are all filmed in, like, a single small room. Mm-hmm. It's, it's significantly more cost cut. Yes. Yes, it is. And there is an article from Rolling Stone that I'm going to be referring to throughout the episode uh, that is from Justin to Kelly, the great WTF American Idol movie, because it is just, oh, it's ridiculous. It is. (laughs) So on paper, the producer's plan appeared flawless. He would cobble together a big screen behemoth around his recently crowned winner, Kelly Clarkson, and her affable runner-up, Justin Guarini, forcing them to publicly act out their long-rumored romance. And forcing is the word for what Fuller was doing, as both of his stars were contractually obligated to appear in the film. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) And for a screenplay, the show's creator would turn to his brother, Kim, who had previously penned the objectively perfect masterpiece, Spice World. He would take the movie from conception to release date in less than three months, figuring that God made the earth in seven days and just chilled for one of them, so ten weeks should be plenty of time to manufacture a musical about horny twenty-somethings. What could go wrong? In a word, everything. I mean, horny teenagers is really the way to put it, because it's spring break. It's about it's about having sex. There's like whipped cream bikini contests, and yet everything about it is so um, sterile and chaste. This feels the way that Sleepover does, where we talk about how Sleepover is a PG-rated sex comedy. Mm-hmm. That's what this feels like. Oh, PG is, oh, is it PG? Because there are so many scenes in Fort Lauderdale that are shot to look like the MTV spring break thing, where it's mm-hmm. like all these young people in bikinis and dancing around and grinding on each other. And but yet, they're and yet. and yet they're singing songs that sound like kids bop and training. They're not they're, they're they're not really grinding on each other that much. They're doing tasteful grinding. It is um, choreographed grinding. A, a lot of these uh, a lot of these backup dancers for the men are very clearly gay. Oh yeah, they so are chiseled and clean. They, they, the way they the way they hold themselves, mm-hmm. it's like well, there's a reason that you're grinding as a dancer and not grinding as like a suitor. Yeah, there is a difference. You can tell when when you're watching people between like oh this is like dancing versus this is dancing. This is like 
dirty dancing as opposed to dirty dancing. Yeah. That's the difference. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what it feels like. And it's, uh, it's, it's weird because, like, there's, there's lots of moments that I was really hoping for something more with this movie. Like, the whipped cream bikini contest, I'm like, oh, please have this be a musical number. Please have these girls dance and do choreo in their fucking bikinis with whipped cream mm-hmm. that is somehow not melting in, like, the salty air of the Florida sun. <laughs> they're just really stuck on. It's, it, I don't know, it's probably, like, insulated foam spray. They, probably. They're like, saving money, put, put insulation on them, it'll be fine. <laughs> it's, um, they didn't do that. And it would have been so cool. Like, just imagine choreo and, like, the fucking whipped cream is flying off. Mm-hmm. Like, it would be it would be camp. It would be fun. But we don't want that. No, it's We just want be... something serviceable, not good. And the plot itself is truly ridiculous. It has kind of the Grease vibes of two people from, you know, differing backgrounds getting together. It's a beach They're musical. They're not that different, though. Yeah. I mean, they did an interview, uh, Justin and Kelly did, on the Jay Leno Tonight Show and he was like, oh, this sounds like a Gidget movie. And Kelly and Justin are both like, I don't know what those are. Yep. But he's right. Like, this is a 1960s I mean, beach movie. That was 2003. Gidget was from, like, 1962. Right. Those are 40-some years old. <laughs> right. <laughs> She just wants to play, so go over, no, I'll stay, cause I don't know just what to say. Don't you tell me where you're from, don't I know you from back home, we really need to be alone, cause tomorrow you'll be He's right. Like, they are like Gidget movies. These are, it's like a 1960s beach movie, but the problem is they're not really all that updated for contemporary audiences. Like, mm-hmm. they still feel like squeaky clean 1960s beach movies. And, like, a good beach movie, there are some ones that get kind of debaucherous. There's some really fun ones. Um, I, what, what's the one we like? Uh, the Girl in the Invisible Bikini? Mm-hmm. That one's, the Ghost in the Invisible Bikini. That one is so dumb and so much fun. Yeah, it's very fun. Uh, but the, like, the premise alone of this movie is so painfully 2000s in the sense that Justin and his boys, um, his his party posse. Uh, I think their names are Eddie and Brandon, yes. but I just kept referring to the nerdy one as Bucket Hat the whole time. <laughs> yeah, so Justin, Eddie, and Brandon are from Pennsylvania, but are somehow in charge of spring break. I don't know how just their three own... randos from Pennsylvania are in charge of spring, bre- spring I don't, break. I don't think they're in charge of spring break. They're running their own specific unrelated spring break events, which is why they get fined by the very hot beach cop. Yeah, I wish they would have done more with that. They did, they didn't have a license. No. They didn't they didn't, they didn't have a permit. They didn't have anything, so she just keeps finding them over and over again. Yeah. So, you've got that going on and then you've got Kelly and her two friends, Alexa who's played by Catherine Bayless. Uh she does a lot of TV and some like lifetime stuff now. And then Kaya Who's a Nika Noni Rose is Princess Tiana is here making her second appearance on this show after Assassination this Nation. This and Assassination Nation. <laughs> Yeah. What a um, career. Yeah. So she was a very surprising one to see in this. I was like, oh shit, <laughs> she's here too. Things that we don't know because we have never seen we this never before and this. it was very like taken aback. Yes. But Kelly's character is presented as the ultimate 
not like most girls. Like she keeps seeing about all the events that Justin's putting on for spring break. And she's like, Ugh, how degrading. Like she's very sex negative. She's better than everyone else because she's wholesome and doesn't want to do the typical spring break things. She's not here for one night stands. She's here for love. Like all of that kind of bullshit. She's not even there for love. She no. She doesn't even want to she be there. She doesn't want to be there. So th- there's a scene where the three, where our three female leads are all sitting at the pool and they're kind of just like identifying who they are. And it's like, oh, Kaya's the smart one. Kelly's the nice one. And Alexa, I guess, is a slut or something. <laughs> like, it. That's, that's basically the way it is. By the way, Alexa is the, like, prototype Ashley Tisdale. Okay, she has a song in this called, like, Wish Upon a Star or something like that. The one that. that actually has genuinely good choreography? It really does. But it it is the precursor to Sharpay's Fabulous in High School Musical 2. It is such a Sharpay Evans song. It's wild. Especially because it's like (laughs) maybe the worst original song in the movie because it sounds like it's out of tune, but it's like synthesizers. So there's no way it can be out of tune. So it's like a stylistic choice of being like deliberately kind of bad. I think the implication is that like she's not as talented as Kelly, so I don't I but, don't like, know. She can dance, but like whatever, we'll, we'll talk. We're about trying this. to add logic to an illogical movie, I, it, precisely. So the way it is is like Kelly is described by her friends and the movie as the nice girl, but like the way Kelly operates through this movie is like the most Christian slasher movie logic, where it's like Kelly can't even show like legs in this movie mm-hmm. otherwise she's not making it to the end <laughs> she's not gonna do drugs she's not gonna have sex she's not gonna do any of that she might not even kiss but she, kelly's not gonna show any skin yeah like, the- <laughs> I, I love the boldness of kelly going i'll do this movie on the beach but i'm wearing a one piece mm-hmm. but also like kelly wears like pants and covers her legs as much as possible throughout this whole movie yeah i i that has to have been something that she argued for and if so good for you mm-hmm. uh because don't oh, ever do would, something that makes you feel uncomfortable people would have been so mean of course they would have like, been. Kelly is so cute in this. And because it's 2003, people probably would have said like, oh, she's fat. Oh, no, they did. Like, did they? Yeah. And not even this. just with this movie. That was a big thing that people used to bash her for on American Idol because she has kind of like a cherubic face and she still does. Yeah. Um, and people were just like, eh, I don't actually like Kelly because she's like fat. And she's, she's fucking not. not. No, she has one of those like... Bellies that says, I have organs. Right. Like, she has, like, she's not even big at all. She is very, like, girl next door sized and presented. I I don't know. But I guess this is, like, something, hopefully, that our younger listeners can take to heart because... Whenever I see people like Gen Z that are like idealizing the 2000s, I'm like, do you have any idea how bad it was? Kelly Clarkson was considered like fat. Mm-hmm. No, she was not. No, not at all. <laughs> like something that is weird. This is a complete side tangent, but it's one of the most astute observations that I love, which is um, there's there's an anime that's basically anime versions of Powerpuff Girls, but made for adults called Panty and Stocking. Mm-hmm. That's a hot mess. Animation's great. The writing is a very, it's very, very hit and miss. It is, I think, the perfect capsule of what the 2000s were like to a disgusting fault. Oh, yeah. Like, you watch three seconds of that, and one of the characters is like, get out of my way, you fucking slut. And you you're fat like, fucking whore. And you're just like, whoa. It is so mean and, and that's, so that's the 2000s. And that's friends are talking? Yeah, but it's like, that is how you distill this. We're just like, children, I need you to watch this, and then, then you know exactly what the 2000s were actually like. Right. <laughs> you can't idealize it. This is it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so fucking, it's so bizarre, because... 
I guess Kelly wants to fall in love with Justin and Justin wants to fall in, in love with Kelly and like it really gives you an idea of how much the branding is that they just named the movie the names of the characters but they're not playing themselves they're just playing characters that have, have the exact name. same names as them and like also they're Jack are from, Nicholson or something and also are from the same states that they're yeah. from it's and not them it's like a fictionalized version of them but not them but a marketable version of them it's a whole fucking mess uh-huh but the plot of this movie i guess is them getting together but like it is so barely a plot man yeah it's i mean and there's also like sort of side plots like justin's friend eddie has been talking to a girl on the internet the entire time and he's spending the entire spring break trying to find this girl from Mm -hmm. the internet which in a weird way i'm like you're kind of ahead of the curve to know that this is what our future is going to become is everybody's just going to be talking to strangers on on the internet on their phone and trying to find them yeah but like this is that part of the internet which continued all the way into like napoleon dynamite and a little Mm -hmm. bit past that where it's like ew you're finding a girl online you're a loser you're finding a girl online. She's probably a dude. That yeah, that too. She's probably I w- forty-five years old and a man. I'm gonna be honest with you. I was fully bracing for that in this movie. I was too. And she's a perfectly cute girl. Yeah, she's very adorable. Yeah. But I fully was like, this is gonna be a middle-aged man. Like- I mean, when that fucking buff dude ends up breaking in the door, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> It's really ridiculous, but something that this Rolling Stone article points out that I love is how everybody sort of knows about. From Justin to Kelly, but a lo- like like we said at the top of the show, a lot of people I don't think have actually sat down and watched it. Dude, we had to pay to watch this. Though, though that is your Patreon dollar at work. We had to pay to rent this. <laughs> yeah, we were tweeting about it on the uh, This Ends Up Prom Twitter account, and people were trying to guess what movie it was, and someone did guess from Justin to Kelly. And what was so funny is I put like, oh, your Patreon dollars are hard at work, and a lot of people were naming really good movies, and I'm like, oh, oh no, I'm happy to pay for those. <laughs> is it La La Land? It's like, it is not La La Land. It's not. That's a good movie. <laughs> um, but Rolling Stone says that <laughs> from Justin to Kelly is like the Titanic or the Hindenburg. It was the kind of catastrophe that few people witnessed firsthand but everyone remembers as if they survived it themselves yeah i never forgot just from justin to kelly why do you think i'm the one who brought it up to the show oh my god (laughs) this is essentially me going like what movie did you bring for us today and i go this one (laughs) yeah it's it's so it's so weird because just the characters are super weird like eddie is this nerdy guy who's trying to find this girl from the internet, and then you've Isn't also he got... also like an actor who went on to do many big things Yeah, after he, this? he's continued to act. He does yeah. a lot of TV. He's actually like... I think I like him the most in this whole movie. He's doing like, what he needs to do. He's doing a good job. It has some obvious, like, things like, oh, he gets a suntan, he gets a sunburn, whatever. But, like, he has these moments with, like, this buff dude who there's a misunderstanding about cheating, and he's just, like, talking about being sensitive. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. And he's sunburned. And this dude's got a lot of rage issues. I'm like, okay. And then the fucking buff dude's like, do you want to go to the bar and just have a drink? And just, I, I want to hang out. And he's like, as, just so you know, we're just friends, right? And it's like, is that a really weirdly timed gay joke in yes. this movie that came out of nowhere? Because then like, they just stare at each other and he goes, yeah, okay. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But it's just like, what? What the fuck? I guess it's spring break. Anything can happen. But what the yeah, it, it's really weird. And then you've got Brandon, who's played by Greg Siff, who's like, uh, he's got a puka shell necklace. That's kind of all you need to know about this character. He's he's the bodacious party dude who wants to do parties and be an American Pie kind of character. But this is the man. Like, 
Greg Ziff is one of the guys who did the music for this. Yeah, and so it's weird. Uh, Rolling Stone describes him as an American Eagle mannequin magically brought to life by a wizard spell, and I agree. Yes. Uh, that's exactly who this character is. But he also wants to be a rapper, and he's not And he good. does rap. He does. Not well. He, he does those white people raps that are... Basically hip-hop from, like, 1984, so it's extremely primitive sounding. Yeah, he, one of his songs is called Chick Seeking Missile. Uh-huh. Uh, which, uh, God. And his here, rap stuff's not good. His pop stuff's okay. Here's here's a line for you. You'll be heartbreaking, better yet heart-bustin'. Just follow me and Justin, and soon they'll be lustin' after you. There's a reason American Idol was a singing competition. Oh, my God. It's just... <laughs> Oh, it's so weird. Um, so yeah, all of the uh, all of them kind of converge in Fort Lauderdale, and wacky hijinks ensue. And by hijinks, Kelly's friend Alexa is a real piece of shit. <laughs> like yeah. that's the hijinks. She she can get and basically the way it is is that Alexa is Jolene <laughs> from like Dolly Parton, <laughs> where it's like these two want to get together, and she's like, no, I'm inserting myself only because. You two want each other. Like, she could get any man. She understands how easily she could get any man. But she's going to take that man from Kelly. Yeah. Which is a really bad friend. Why are you friends? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they're friends. Maybe it's because they all work at the same bar together. Because that's the other thing. Like, America loves the idea of, like, a waitress to riches story. That's, like, their favorite thing. I mean, Coyote Ugly's around this time. That's true. I like the parts of Coyote Ugly that have nothing to do with Piper Parabo. And that's not her fault very true just that that plot's not very good <laughs> because that was like the big angle with kelly clarkson in american idols like she's a cocktail waitress in texas mm-hmm. because heaven forbid somebody who works in the service industry actually have talent they or have dreams or dreams or anything wow but speaking of texas kelly still has her accent in this movie she does <laughs> it's very cute I, I love just like the little tinge of kelly's accent that comes through here and even by the time they're doing like pre- she might have been hamming it up for this i'm not sure but even by the time she's doing like the press tour and she we saw her on jay leno promoting this movie her accent was starting to fizzle out yeah you can tell that somebody was like you need to you need to walk that back yeah you have to represent all of america yep so they do the same thing with miss america's The songs in this, though, here, I don't want to talk, like, specifics about the songs. What I do want to say, though, is that everyone who sings in this, especially Justin, Kelly, and Anika, for sure, Mm -hmm. they are so fucking talented that it almost gives you whiplash when you're watching this piece of shit movie, and then all of a sudden, like, three of the most talented vocalists you could possibly ever hear are just belting their fucking face off out of nowhere. Dude. Like, this movie is a great example of how, like, the most talented people can't save a bad movie. 
yes 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 oh my god because every time they sing you're like oh damn okay i'm awake i'm paying attention Mm -hmm. and then it goes back to this whack-ass like disney channel plot and i'm like i'd rather be watching a mary kate and ashley movie because at least those movies are like tongue-in-cheek understanding what they're making this movie is trying so hard to be sincere but this story is not working but goddamn, if they can't sing they are all so good oh there's that there's that pool scene where kelly is wearing like a very Bonnaroo outfit with like mm-hmm. de- denim top, but like scarf skirt mm-hmm. kind of thing. And she's wearing like a bandana kind of top. Oh my God. Her and Anika are killing it in that song. Yeah. Like we have this moment where like we're watching it and we haven't had a musical number in a little bit. And then this comes on and I'm like, fuck man. It's like getting punched in the face by powerhouse vocals when these two in particular say, cause Justin's a very good singer, but they don't give him as good of songs or as good yeah. of stuff to work with. It's, it's focused more on the women, but like, Damn. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the song's not good, but like I could hear this getting played on the radio by the virtue of like being a really good singer. Because like in the early 2000s, that was totally a thing. You mm-hmm. didn't have to have the best songs, but if you were a strong singer, that could do it for you. Mm-hmm. Being a good singer doesn't isn't enough to get you on the radio anymore. No. And it hasn't been for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really jarring is the only word that I've got because there were so many moments where I'm watching this movie and feeling my soul leave my body. Oh, yeah, you were having a bad time. I was just like, this is, I can't believe how bad this is. It's not even like, it's not like atrocious. It's just dull and pointless. And that's that, what it is. That's the thing with like, even if you're going to compare it to like Mary-Kate and Ashley, if you're mm-hmm. going to compare it to like a Disney Channel movie or anything, there's at least like a theme to those. Mm-hmm. There's usually like a moral to those. And so it feels like it's justifying its existence a little bit more versus this one where it's like a love story and there's nothing wrong with a love story. But then it just feels like the unbelievable filler of like a bad Lifetime Christmas movie where it's like, oh, it's a romance and that's it. It's here to feel good. And then it just makes it not feel like it has any reason to exist other than fuck it, watch it, let's make money. And then they didn't make money because nobody went and saw it. But like... Like, that, I, that's like, the I point almost, of its existence. I almost wish this movie was worse because it's certainly not going to get better no. by any stretch of the imagination. But if it was worse, at least then it could be like this camp catastrophe, total fucking nightmare. Oh, yeah, like there's way worse movies. Like fucking Troll 2. Troll right. 2 is entertaining. Right, right, right. But like you can have fun with stuff like that because it's so bad that it's good. This doesn't ever come around full circle. It just stays firmly in, oh, this is bad. Mm-hmm. So then when you do have them singing and it's like, what is happening? It's like, oh, it could have been better. Or like I was watching it and concocting plans of just being like, they should have done this in this scene. Oh, they should have done this in this scene. Instead, they did the most obvious thing. Oh, he's got a sunburn. Mm-hmm. You know? Like it was, it's, it's, it's just really paint by numbers and they weren't trying to do anything better. It's it's like that thing in um in Hacks where you have Gene Smart saying like, "Oh, hey, um sure my my shtick is corny and played out and dated, but people in middle America deserve to laugh too." Yeah. So you don't have to take like necessarily the elite elevated comedy approach to everything. Mm-hmm. No, I respect that. Mm-hmm. But also on the other hand, growing up we had a you might be a redneck book of illustrations and jokes by Jeff Foxworthy that lived on the back of the toilet. Mm. So, (laughs) you know, surely there's a little middle ground in there. (laughs) Yeah, like, 
So this Rolling Stone article says that the film, after our introduction, essentially becomes much ado about nothing by way of Greece as a series of calculated misunderstandings, which eventually leads to a scene where Kelly is reborn as a party girl, i.e. she puts up her hair and wears a belly shirt. Oh, yeah. And then at the end of the movie, the following three things happen in very quick succession. One, Eddie meets his cyber pal and drops the game-changing opening line, excuse me, are you Lizzie from the internet? <laughs> Two, the cast absolutely slaughters a kid's bop cover of That's the Way I Like It. By, uh, what is it, Casey and the Sunshine Band? Though the better version is by Dead or Alive. <laughs> There's like oiled up, muscly, bothering building women in that music video. <laughs> uh, the only thing that I don't like about it is they do like, that's the way, uh-huh, I like it. And like, like it's missing like that one, you're like, oh. It's, oh, like wrong. A, it's a remix. It's built weird. Um, it's it's supposed to be this big set piece. I mean, honestly, the way it's set up with like the pool and all the people, this feels like when High School Musical would have like the set pieces in front of the giant stairs. Mm -hmm. It's one of those. Yeah. But it's not a good cover or a good song. No, it's not. Uh, Justin and Kelly finally declare their love for each other, at which point Justin is like, so I guess I'll visit you. I don't know. I got shit to do. And then who knows? Maybe Justin dies on the way back to his home planet like Poochie the Wonder Dog. Kind of. Uh, that's kind of what happens. I also love that they like have their love thing and I, they don't kiss, do they? I don't think they I do. don't think I they do. I may have missed it. I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was losing brain fluid a little bit as this one was going on. <laughs> but like I, I want to say, I think it's one of those things where they just get really close and they're dancing on each other and like they put their hands on each other's faces. But I don't think they have like their big, aha, we're in love, let's kiss moment. I, I mean, I don't think it's there. I don't know what it says about it if it does exist in the movie that somehow we both just completely missed it. Right. It wasn't that much of a spectacle. They were in front of a fountain. They could have had shit going off. Maybe the fountain distracted me and and they actually did. I somehow missed it if it happened. Yeah. But they have these big romantic scenes with them that kind of are like, whatever. Like, they have a musical number on a boat. Mm -hmm. But, like, the background is just people's yards. Yeah. <laughs> They're in, like, one of those canals that goes from, like... Rich a, people a, houses a, into the ocean. Yeah, it like, goes to, like, a port out into the ocean. So you're just passing through people's, like, in-ground pools right on a river. And, like, you're seeing into people's backyards and their patio furniture and shit like that. And this musical number goes on so long that by the time they reach the ocean, it is now sundown. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. There's also a, a kind of subplot where a guy who has a thing for Kelly back in Texas shows up and, like, starts beef with Justin Guarini. He's a boyfriend, but he's not. He's he, clearly friend-zoned. Yeah, it's very weird, and that's what leads to the hovercraft polo game that they play, which feels like the scene in Greece where they're racing, but it also doesn't make any fucking sense, and it's not actually that cool to watch. No, it's one of those things where, like, if you describe it, yeah, they're going to be like, it's like a game you create when you're a child mm -hmm. where you're like going to create a convoluted rules. And if you're in the moment, you're really excited for it. But then like without the snappy editing and. And the editing's the not that snappy. They cut to Alexa and she fully has her mouth closed and then reacts to the guy falling off of it. Yeah, like it's if it weren't for the editing or the music or the way that it's shot. This would just be like a very slow moving, uninteresting game. It's like when you're watching, I don't know, Nickelodeon Guts or something like that. But they <laughs> yeah. have like a really wide shot of just kids running back and forth and doing clumsy, awkward things. You really need to edit it to add some sizzle to that steak. 
Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like, if I was on the beach watching them, I'd be like, dude, this is fucking this is dull. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really not that cool or exciting to watch. It's just weird. Um, but the, the Rolling Stone article ends by saying, with a tagline like the tale of two American idols, not even the marketing could be bothered to pretend that the movie was about anything more than the brand itself. And unclouded by the fog of viewer participation generated by the show's voting process, Fuller's cash cow revealed what it was all about, using us to find diamonds in the rough and then selling them back to the public at a steep markup. It let his audience know exactly how he saw them. If there's anything that fundamentally separates this from the endless legions of feature-length corporate pap, it's that this is the rare movie that hates its viewers. Kinda. And that, Um, I think, is so fascinating. Like, there are people who will defend, particularly people who listen to our show. So, Mm -hmm. like, the gay community and women will defend something if they have a lot of affinity toward it. Mm -hmm. Myself included for the garbage that I consume. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how many people are sitting there going, you don't understand. Like, from Justin to Kelly's actually kind of good. Or, like, it's bad, but I have fun with it. I have never once heard anybody defend this movie. No, I haven't either. And, like... We run in some circles where people will defend some real shit. Yeah, yeah, they will. (laughs) But I think Rolling Stone had it right because this movie is so poorly executed that it really does feel like Simon Fuller was like, whatever, these fucking pigs will lap up whatever garbage I give them. Eat your gruel. That's what it feels like. Eat the mush. Like, when we were prepping for this, we, we did so much research on this because we're like, well, the movie itself doesn't have a lot of substance, and I'm sure you all have gathered that from listening up to this part, but... I was like, I want to rewatch Kelly Clarkson winning again because she she talks about how her face grimaces and she's not. I want I, I want to experience that moment because I didn't watch American Idol season one and I only tuned in for like a couple bits and pieces of subsequent stuff. I did like season ten and then the two finalists were the country singers that I had no investment in. But in order to get to the part where Kelly is announced as the winner, it's like a maybe like a seven minute video. It's just Ryan Seacrest. And Brian Dunkelman. I guess. Is that other Brian? guy. I know it's Dunkelman. That other guy who was only in that first season. And all they do for like four minutes, and this is at the end of presumably like an hour finale, mm-hmm. is just Ryan Seacrest fucking edging you and going, and the winner of American Idol season it one. <laughs> like, like it's just him edging you forever. And it's like, Realistically, as far as a finale is concerned, you have enough content here for 45 seconds. If you want to be generous, five minutes, including the number at the end of the episode, five. But that is an hour-long thing of TV time they got to fill to 30 million people, and it shows you just how little they actually have and are padding. Mm -hmm. This embodies that experience when it's just like, yeah, I could have just popped on Twitter and gone, oh, that person won? Cool, and then moved on with my day. Mm -hmm. But this is 2002, and we don't have Twitter. Right. So... I I think that that really encapsulates the shallowness of this entire experience. Like, one of the only things, like, I will say this movie had one plot point where I got, I like that, and we did nothing with it. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Kaya ends up getting involved with this server at, like, the resort where they're having spring break or whatever. I I think his name is Carlos. Um, When more than one woman meets a guy because they have a drink spilled on him. (laughs) <laughs> like they, they reused that with two of the three girls. People is just real clumsy on spring break. I mean, there's a reason for that. But <laughs> he ends up getting fired because she sticks up for him because they want to go on a date or whatever. And he ends up at like a place with a ridiculous sign that is like diner, diner, cafe, bed, breakfast with like no spaces. And it's just mm-hmm. this big block of text. And 
the thing that he says that I like is, hey, you all get to come to spring break and you get to like just have a fling and play with our emotions and just fuck around. But like we live here. We're here year round and we have to like make something of our lives the other 51 weeks out of the year or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I like that as a plot point because it's like, oh, yeah, he's working at this like real hole in the wall diner where he's not making nearly as much money now. And that hurts. Like that that sucks because now his life is significantly harder and she kind of ruined it. Mm-hmm. But then we don't do anything with it and they just forgive and go on a romantic date and then it just ends. Yep. But it's like, oh, no, there's an interesting thing to be said there. Yeah. <laughs> they just don't. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of missed opportunities like that. I Like I don't understand why this movie was about Justin and Kelly – not being able to be together and spending the entire week trying to be together and it's this like comedy of errors thing. Because they're blue balling you. But it just doesn't make sense because they don't interact together enough for me to care about them as a couple or like want to see them be together outside of they run American Idol together. No, that like, but that's absolutely true. There's a lot of movies that we have on this show that where um, we're fairly critical of like, yeah, I don't buy the romance. Mm-hmm. Like um, a Cinderella story, I I was not really buying that romance because that dude is just kind of there as a pretty face. Mm-hmm. They don't do enough with him and I don't buy them together. Um, I was and continue to be quite controversial in saying I don't buy the romance of 10 Things I Hate About You. <laughs> but this is like truly the extent of like a nothing romance where they do the bare minimum to put these two together on screen, which is... Especially weird considering that they were actually dating and didn't confirm mm-hmm. it until like decades later. <laughs> I think they just didn't want people in their personal lives, which fair. I agree. Like it, there's a lot of like weird controversial things to that. Like I think this, I, I think I read about this for fucking S Club 7 where two of them started dating and then they made them actually date on the show. Mm-hmm. And then that made their relationship really fucking weird and they broke up. And I, yeah. think, I think one of them ended up actually leaving S Club 7 as a result and started a new metal band or something, if I remember that correctly. So it's it's just like meddling in the weird pseudo reality version of their lives. Mm-hmm. And like, bravo for Justin and Kelly, who seem to still be very, very tight, for mm-hmm. them not ever going into this or making it public. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Leno pressed them on that when he was interviewing them for this. He and did. They were, and they were like, no. But Leno is also notorious for that shit. Like, there's videos of him pressing Mara Wilson while she's on the press tour for Matilda. Meaning she's like nine years old. And I know him being nothing. like, do you have a girl? Do you have a boyfriend? Do you like boys? And she's like, no. Dude, I know nothing about Jay Leno as an interviewer or as a host He's of anything. He's a real piece of shit. Is he? Yes. I, I, I kind of like that one scene where he's in a movie with Pat Morita and Pat Morita does a jumping kick through the windshield of a car and kills your husband. Yeah. I <laughs> I like Jay Leno in that. Like, I understand why so many people loved Jay Leno. I Like, I get it. I don't need people to, like, Leno-splain to me. But he was really disgusting with the way that he interviewed young women and the way he talked about young women. Like, if you watch the interview he did with Pam Anderson, woof. I mean, a lot of late night guys are like that, though. Mm-hmm. You know, fucking goes all the way to Carson. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rough shit. But whatever. The point that I'm getting at is that you couldn't create actual on-screen magic and chemistry out of people who were really dating. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that say about the content of your material and what you're asking these people to do. We, like, cause we know that Kelly was just like, she, she, all things considered for Justin and Kelly not being actors, they're fine. Yeah. They do a great job. Yeah. Like with what Especially they considering have to do. Kelly was hating the entire experience and didn't want to be there. 
I'm I'm none the wiser. This isn't mm-hmm. like this isn't like I don't know when you watch Eric Roberts phone it in when he's in fucking Sharktopus or something. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, she really does commit and like they nail the choreography. They did the work, but this movie to me fails not because of Kelly Clarkson or Justin Guarini. It fails because of Simon Fuller. Mm-hmm. It fails because he didn't put any heart or attention or care into this. He just gave it to us and was like, this is what you get and you will like it because this is what you've told me you like because you voted for them. Yeah, because like I don't know exactly what the process of making this movie is because, dude, I'm not going to like buy the DVDs so that I can watch the special features no. where they paint a really, really positive picture of this experience. But oh, like no. knowing who directed this and that he's done movies that I like. Mm-hmm. knowing that his brother made Spice World, which I do really like Spice World, and it is a very fun movie as well as being like a cash grab. Mm-hmm. Like knowing that Justin and Kelly and like uh, uh, most of the people in this movie can sing really well. Mm-hmm. Like the choreography is like, you know, not the best thing. Like we just did Across the Universe and it's not as crisp as like those businessmen or the small soldiers mask guys. Yeah, when they do their big like bird's eye shots of the choreography on the beach, we're like, oh, this is... They're hitting the moves, but they're not hitting them the same. Yeah. It's, it's not crisp. <laughs> it doesn't It doesn't help when you've seen things like West Side Story and In the Heights and Across the well, Universe where it, everything is so precise. Okay, but like, actually, that's a point I want to bring up. It's probably hard because you're on a beach, which means you're not on solid ground. And also, like, the beach is already going to be different levels mm-hmm. and people are different heights. And it's already going to create, it's going to create a weird thing that's not going to create the image you want it to. As someone who was in marching band, like, I understand that. But at least the right. fucking field is flat. But, like, when the pandemic started to, like, Fizzle to the point where we felt comfortable going to see, like, a movie in a fairly empty theater in masks, Mm -hmm. which we still don't do very often, Mm -hmm. but occasionally. The first movie we saw back was In the Heights, Mm -hmm. which, like... We were the only ones in the theater, and it ruled. I think there was, like, four other people. They were nowhere near us, so they they might as well not be there. We were in the back. They were in, like, the front middle somewhere. It It was pretty empty, but... I wanted that to be the first movie we saw back, not because I have any investment in Lin-Manuel Miranda, not because I knew anything about In the Heights, which I I rather enjoyed my time with that. It's not perfect, but like, I wanted to see a spectacle. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see something that I need to see in a theater, not something that looks the same at home. Mm -hmm. And a musical is the best, but like a a big budget quality musical is the best version of that. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is not that because it feels like it's made for TV. Yes. And that's not necessarily a dirty word, but they use it as a dirty word. Yeah, this feels like something that you catch midday on summer break on the Disney Channel. For real. And like knowing that there's people in there who are good and they just either didn't care because like, why would you? (laughs) Why would you care? Simon clearly didn't fucking care. It's clearly a cash grab. Why would you put in more effort than you need to? I don't know. It just feels like, uh, it feels like the sensation of being like a worker at a minimum wage job going like, fuck man, I'm going to get paid the same no matter what. Mm-hmm. Who cares? I'll quiet quit. <laughs> Which is like This not whole e- movie is people quiet quitting. Like kinda. And yet when they sing, they bring it the fuck down. Yeah. They're so good. Kelly is so good. Like you hear this and go, yeah, there's a reason that Kelly Clarkson is so beloved and has had such a good career making like pop music in a way that pop stars of her era have not continued to have hits. Yeah. 
A hundred percent. Because part of that's because Kelly appeals to moms, but like still. <laughs> and she knows that and she owns it. And I love that for her. Kelly Clarkson has always had mom energy. Mm-hmm. I love Kelly Clarkson's mom energy. Yeah, she's She's great. delightful. Mom energy is not a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> she is like, you know, Kelly Clarkson, Drew Barrymore, like give, give me soft, fun mom energy. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm, when you see my face on camera, go like, it is, there's this whole look of like, of like, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> I gotta do this damn movie. <laughs> I was like, I was stressed. I cried in a closet in my apartment for hours trying to get out of it. Wow. Yeah, well, it didn't work. <laughs> well, Harmony, the time has come. From Justin to Kelly is asking you to the spring break prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying them a ticket so they can go on their own? Of course not. Is it a no from you, dog? It's a big no from me, dog. Like, <laughs> here, here's the thing that gets my goat about this movie is I don't feel bad saying no to it because I don't even think the people that worked on it are sitting there going like, no, come on, give it oh, another chance. Oh, hell no. I think they're all just kind of like, yeah, it's just a thing we did, especially Kelly. There is a great moment. I think it was The Voice where Kelly Clarkson is trying to relate to somebody that she wants on her voice team. And the girl's from Florida. And she's like, I've been to Florida. I made a really terrible movie there. And Ariana Grande is like, Kelly, no, it's iconic. And she's like, don't you dare. Like, don't you dare put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. But like, the thing that gets me is that everyone involved in this is like, no, not at all. And yet, this movie is sitting at 8% on Rotten Tomatoes, one point higher than the next Karate Kid. I really thought this was going to be the one. I thought this was going to be the one where I'm like, oh my God. Like, I don't know if we're ever going to cover a movie that is genuinely interesting to talk about that people want us to do that is going to be lower than 7%. But when I first pitched from Justin to Kelly, I was like, oh, it's going to be this one, right? No. <laughs> it somehow still beats the, the next Karate Kid. that from Justin to Kelly has a higher Rotten Tomato score than the next Karate Kid is my Joker origin that, story. That's what gets my go. And that's what grinds my gears. specifically Lady Gaga Joker origin because I'm singing and my lipstick is a mess. Yeah. So, fuck, man. Like, if I'm, I'm putting this out in the universe. If you like this movie, like either ironically or just have fun memories of it, please, I want to hear about them <laughs> because I have no investment in that and I I want that positivity. Tell, tell me why this works for you. Harmony wants to study you. Kinda. A little bit. <laughs> and maybe we will call someone to make sure you're okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not like the fucking Netflix people that are like, um, excuse me, um, this user, you watched the B movie 440 <laughs> times this year. Are you okay? And they're like, my kid likes it. Leave me alone. But like Netflix calls people out for that shit. <laughs> Which is really funny. Like, I'm not going to do that to people. That's mean and unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Friends, that takes us out on From Justin to Kelly. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. This is a lot like last week where we had to find a band and compare them to the Beatles, and now we got to find a band and compare them to Kelly Clarkson. What did you do? <laughs> Listen, there's, there's a lot of reasons why I'm picking the choice that I did. Because this is a bit of a protest pick. (laughs) Not because, like, first of all, comparing anyone to Kelly Clarkson is, like, a really steep mountain to climb. And also, I feel bad getting, like, 
a genuine like one-to-one comparison for from Justin to Kelly to anybody who's making music because it's like, hey, you really like this corporate sellout movie and that feels mean. So I'm taking a protest pick and we're shouting out the band Broken Baby. What a great name. They are a uh, duo, I believe, from here in Los Angeles, California. And their band camp says something to the tune of, we're a band to listen to really loud and drive a little too fast to or something while shaking your fist in the air. They're like, they're like some good rock and roll, angry kind of fucking music. Um, I got into them a couple of years ago with their song, Get the Piss Up. And the album that's off of is Late Stage Optimism. It's a really, really good album for like aggressive, kind of grimy, gritty, r- indie rock music. But more recently, they're doing some stuff that I find very fun. So they released a song last year called Make Manager, where the music video is literally them just running around like Target and Walmart in like a tie and suit. And the lead singer has like great front person energy, mm-hmm. like so good, so charismatic and fun and wild. Um Also, like, tie-in suit, I say that, they're wearing, like, no pants. (laughs) Um, And their other more recent one is, it's only rock and roll and I hate it. You played me that one and it's pretty great. The music video is fun. There's, like, costuming where the lead singer dresses up as, like, Kurt Cobain and Alice Cooper and a bunch of other, like, iconic rock characters. I think that they're exactly what Simon Fuller wouldn't want and that's why they're a good pick for this. And once again, that is the band Broken Baby, their most recent album is Late Stage Optimism, though I really look forward to whatever their next full release is going to be because the singles have been super. Beautiful. That takes us out, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening, and don't forget, save that last dance for us. Bye. The next musical's way better. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.